Ule Yachtaker serves as the Chief Executive Officer in SFL. SFL has a unique track record in the maritime industry and has paid out dividends every quarter since 2004. In this episode, we cover how Ole got interested in shipping in offshore, what made him join Jon Fredriksen and help him make SFL a cash machine, how to master and survive the cyclical nature of shipping, and what's next for SFL and their diversified fleet of assets. All opinions expressed by Christopher Vonheim or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of BIN. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christopher Vonheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This episode is produced by William Fransen. The importance of reputation, because obviously, as you mentioned, uh, the major shareholder in this company is also a major shareholder in other companies sitting right next to you, basically in the office. How is how important has it been to be, you know, have a great reputation? And when you lease, you know, maybe some people can think that, you know, maybe it's easier to get a good deal when you're shared office space versus, you know, a deal uh, across uh, continents. So how important has it been to find, you know, the right balance in terms of not getting any conflict of interest or is that not an issue at all? It's super easy to avoid that. Or can those issues arise just because people may think they arrive? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, of course, it's a very valid question. Um, we share office space with uh, Frontline and uh, Golden Ocean and Flex LNG. Uh, but what we share is reception services, uh, canteen, and some and some back office functions where we have that we own in a in a, in a shared company, uh, which is sort of the, the 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 main things we share. We run it very separate. We have separate boards. Uh, as you mentioned, we have a large shareholder uh, in the Fredrickson family. They own around 20% of the company. So we have 80% other investors, uh, of course. That uh, So we, we, we it, I would say it's run very independent. We have very limited related party business. Uh, it started as 100% related party. So that's been a very dramatic <laughs> change, I would say, over the years. Um, but apart from that, I would say that from an investment community perspective, I think, you know, Mr. Fredrickson has had, has, ha- has and has had a phenomenal reputation because unfortunately in shipping you've seen too many examples of uh, of companies listed companies where management or the principal owners main focus has been to enrich themselves it seems with fees uh, to you know their own companies and uh, you know skimming here and there uh, you know on, along the way you know S&P fees uh, management fees sales fees this and that there is nothing of that in our structure and nor in our related companies. Uh, so it's always been, you know, one share, one vote, one piece of the economics. Uh, so, so which of course is, uh, you know, in, in, uh, you know, from, from, from an investment perspective or investor perspective, I would, sh- I would say should be very reassuring. They've been extremely investor friendly. Um, there have been, I'm sure, so many chances to what we say, exploit situations, uh, but uh, and and uh, if you look at you know the Fredrickson family, I would say maybe they you know behave in a way like a like a fund or fund manager, 
Because what they see is that if you start sub-optimizing, say if you have one company A and you have company B, you know, if they want to do a deal because both of them think that this is beneficial for me, of course, then they won't, you know, call it be opposed to it as long as, you know, corporate governance principles are followed. But if you start cross-subsidizing, i.e. you do a deal with between the companies where one company say, ah, I don't really want this, but I have to do it, it will reflect up on the value of each of those two companies. So you can say in the end, the value of, of their holdings will be reduced if you, if you cross-subsidize from one company to the other. And then, you know, going back to valuation, I mean, over time consistently, you know, if you just look at, call it the NAV, call it, uh, if, you, if, that is a, if that's a metric, uh, you know, you, you look at, you know, typically companies in, in our wider group have generally been priced well over, call it what's called NAV, and certainly well over NAV compared to other companies in the same sector. And this, uh, this I think, is not a coincidence. It's because investors feel that, okay, if I invest here, you know, yes, you could say absolute, I may pay, you know, marginally more, but I, if the market moves, I get at least as much because this, these companies are much more investable from a corporate governance perspective, and therefore will be more attractive also when markets, uh, you know, move up, upwards. So I think, you know, the relationship here and, and having uh, the Fredrickson family as a large investor is, is, is phenomenal for us because it's given us a lot of, I would say, a lot of comfort, uh, certainly at the, at the early years that, uh, that this, uh, we both, we have, you know, we have access to deal flow. We have to remember that Mr. Fredrickson in his uh, you know, career of uh, more than 60 years now, you know, I don't think anybody has done as many deals as, as he has over the years. So we have phenomenal access to deal flow, say on the, on the shipbuilding side, the shipyards, uh, but also in the, in the shipping community at large. So, you know, having that, uh, you know, uh, call it uh, resource, I would say, you know, for our shareholders is, uh, is, is great. Uh, and we have seen deal opportunities uh, coming in, you know, through him, where, you know, if there is a long-term charter type opportunity, he would, he would send them on to us, uh, typically. That's a great answer. I know that this question is, is a bit hard to answer, but I mean, this is definitely a high performance system to work in. And you've been there for very many years. And if you just look at the reports, it's not given that you will have, you know, this position for so many years. Do you have an answer to why you have been able to be here for such a long time and why you also enjoy being in this environment, which obviously is, is a high performing environment, right? So it's basically, I don't think you can come here and relax and just rest on your laurels to say. No, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I don't have a good answer to that. Um, I think it's a combination of the greed and paranoia, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, where uh, you have, you know, you, 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 the only ones who should really celebrate doing a deal are the shipbrokers, because that, they get their fee when the deal is done. We should, as an owner, we should really only rejoice when the deal is over, when uh, the charter rate have, has been paid, the, the ship has been redelivered. And and you know and and sold or or rechartered. That's the only time we should rejoice because going back to the cyclical nature of the industry, what you have to expect is that things will happen along the way here. You know whether that is uh, you know 
the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. And back then, you know, the company name was Ship Finance International, as you may recall. Uh, in 2009, our name therefore consisted of the two things investors hated. They hated shipping and they hated finance. So that was a, an interesting cocktail in itself. Then you had the tanker crisis in 2011. Then uh, you had, uh, you know, the, the offshore crisis and you had the drivable crisis on an offer. So, so, you know, this is a market where you, you just have to manage through volatility. You have to try to buy the right assets, charter it out to the right people and manage it uh, along the way. And um, I think, you know, hopefully a combination of that, you know, hopefully our ability to deal also with, with situations that don't develop as we hoped for initially when we made the investment, deal with it early and not pretend like it isn't there is, is maybe an important factor. But I have a great team. This is not, this is not just me. Uh, very high, very professional team, very motivated, you know, we, you know and, and we have fun at work. Right? It's interesting. It gives a lot of energy. Yeah, because that was the next next question, because we talked a lot about greed and paranoia, but don't you also feel it's a case about that sort of the Buffett saying that you also should be able to tap dance to work and really enjoy yourself? Because Absolutely. being Absolutely. in this environment, I mean, you can't lose sleep over bad deals, right? But I don't think losing sleep for many months or years even is it's, it's a good path into high performance either. So in some sense, you also need to enjoy the pressure, enjoy the the opportunity you have to make a difference because when you run these operations like a good operation also means a huge value creation right mm. and maybe that's also should be the focus when you know working in this environment yeah so of course i mean we've just been through two restructurings in seedrill you know right which has been you know taken it's taken a lot of energy taken a lot of resources uh, but at the same time you know along the along the way when we were through that because if we had been only invested in offshore assets, of course, it would have been, you know, horrible. But of course, you know, now we've been also invested, we have more container ships than, than offshore assets. So, you know, part of the portfolio has performed really well, while some of, some of the portfolio has been challenging. And of course, you have to spend the time, you have to do everything that's required. But when we look at new deal opportunities, you have to have that energy. You have to think that this is going to be it. This is going to be the new deal. This is going to be great. And then, of course, as you as you call it, dissect the sort of a deal opportunity, and you go through it, and you and you look at the various sort of risk uh, reward parameters. You know, it may or may not materialize. As I said last year, one billion dollars out of nineteen billion dollars ended up actually being done in the end. You know, you have to have that focus that the next one. That's that's a great one. Very interesting. Just a last topic with some some short questions about you know career advice and hiring because you hire a lot of people, you see a lot of people come in the industry. You saw you see some people move away from the industry, right? So, given your data sets and all your experiences, what do you typically try to say to a young person in their twenties or thirties who really want to have a great career in shipping? Do you give any general advice, or do you say that this is your own journey and you just have to? Find a passion and just stay in the game long enough to get good. Well, it's, I think it's all about passion. I mean, to, to anyone who wants to get into any career, you know, go with your heart because that's when you do a better job. If you go into a segment or, you know, just because you feel that I have to do this because otherwise, you know, you know, uh, you know I, I won't get the right job or I won't get to the right salary level, etc. You typically aren't as motivated. 
so um, you know, and and if you if you love shipping, and if you look at if you look at sort of uh, the shipping, it's typically been you know dominated, you know, surprisingly by you know you know from Greece, uh, from Norway. You know, because a relatively smaller, you know, call it countries, um, you know, compared to you know China, for instance, where you had, you know, a much bigger, call it industry base, and where you have much more transportation needs. You know, shipping hasn't been that much of a focus area. So um, I think uh, you know, uh, if you if you want to get in, you know, start. You know, you, you have to get in. You have to start somewhere, and uh, you know, and you know, sort of build your way through it. Uh, you know. Uh, career-wise, uh, but uh, go with your heart. More important than uh, focusing on a specific sector. But when you hire people, what do you think? Have you become great at hiring and identifying talent, or is that always super tricky? Because you can ask people questions about what they think about the business case, etc. But to see them work with the actual problems, it's not necessarily you know the perfect match of what you thought it would be. So hiring has to be super tricky always. Always. Uh, and even professional, you know, headhunters typically say that, you know, if you have if you have more than 50% success rate, you're you're really good uh, uh, on that. Um, what we have done, we've typically hired based on, you know, people we have seen, you know, working or, you know, or where we have good references. Um, we haven't hired that many sort of directly from university. Uh, but of course, could do that. Could do that as well. Um, but uh, you know, it's a relatively small team, so it's uh, extremely you know important that you find the right the right people, the right you know you could say, and and people both skill wise, but also people who sort of fit in culturally. You know that you feel can you know contribute to what we say the energy uh, in the in the organization in in any of the offices, um, and um, you know not. I don't really have any specific advices for, you know, how do you how do you get in position for that? But it's basically about building a track record, right? Because yeah. you also have to try. I mean, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter where you start. You sort of get, need to get your nails dirty and get into the processes and work with it, right? Yeah, yeah. And and what we've seen is that of course Coming from university, you know, you know, with a with with a with a, with, with, with a great uh, CV, you know, that's one thing. But uh, it's really when you when you start working and you sort of get into the details, that's really how you when you can sort of really see the difference between, you know, a good performer and a and a super performer. So, uh, but I, I think we've been uh, quite lucky in uh, you know in recruiting in, in SFL. We have a highly motivated team, very good energy. You know, even even when uh, the the offshore market was uh, was storming a little bit, uh, you know, two years ago, you know, we had very good energy uh, here, uh, very focused on okay, you know, we'll do this, you know, th- we will manage that uh, type attitude, uh, and uh, you know, I think it's paid off. That's a perfect ending, Ola. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you. If you like this episode and the content we create, please make sure to check out our newsletter called The Bin Letter. More information is in the show notes. If you want to watch this episode as well, please head over to our YouTube channel and make sure to subscribe to the channel. This episode was produced by William Fransen.